Good morning, Mercy Culture. Well, good afternoon. It's good to see everybody. My name is Les. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco. The vision of our church is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. You'll hear people repeat that because we say that all the time around here at Mercy Culture. So people ask, what's the vision of small groups? Well, it's to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters. And what's the vision of the food bank? And what's the vision of MC Kids? And MC students when we launch in the future. And what is the, what's the, it's to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. Why? It's very simple. We know that if you can get in God's presence every day, hear his voice, and then have the faith to do what he says to do, then you can't fail. And I don't know how you live a life in any capacity as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, as an employee, as an employer, how you live a life without hearing the voice of the Lord. And I can tell you from experience, I have been in the place where I wasn't encountering God every day. And it is a lonely, sad, foolish life. It seems like you jump from one foolish decision to the next. You think, man, what happened? Why did I make that dumb decision? right? I know better than that. And we think sometimes that we have to come to church and have somebody lay hands on us and tell us what it is that we need to hear. Matter of fact, people get a little frustrated with us sometimes around mercy culture because they'll sit down with leadership. They're like, what should I do? Well, have you encountered the Lord? Did you ask him? Did you seek his face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. What am I supposed to do though? You got to encounter the Lord and seek his face and hear what he says to do. And when you can get into that discipline, it goes from a discipline to a passion. When you lay down at night, you can't, you can't wait to get up and spend time with the Lord. When you learn how to encounter the creator of the universe, there is nothing that will keep you from his presence. And you become passionate and hungry to be in relationship with King Jesus. And we want to help you to discover how you best connect with God. Because there's not just one way to connect with the Lord. There's one way to God, and that is through his son, Jesus. But in Jesus, there are many ways to connect with God. We want to help you to discover the way that you best connect with God. Just text the word CONNECT to 59090 to get more information, to learn how you can become a part of Mercy Culture, and most importantly, how you can learn how to best connect with the Lord. Well, it's Father's Day this morning. Can we honor our fathers today? I want to honor my dad who is here with us this morning. I love you. I honor you today. I want to honor myself because I have, no, I'm just kidding. Some of us, I read an article yesterday that said that Father's Day is the 20th most celebrated holiday in the world. I don't, you, you whooped. I was like, what, what is that? The 20th most celebrated. Mother's Day is the third most celebrated. Father's Day is the 20th. Arbor Day is the sixth. I don't even know what that is. Arbor Day is the 16th most celebrated holiday. I think it's something about trees. Anyways, we honor you dads. God bless you. We have a gift for you before you leave. But I'm so excited this morning because we have with us not a guest, but really a member of our family. Pastor Chris Chima is here with us this morning. He braved, he braved the heat. He braved the heat to come and be with us in the tent. If you don't know, the tent is our temporary location. Somebody say temporary. temporary. Come on, but God spoke. I got... I'm not going to take up your time. 
But about four or five weeks ago, the Lord spoke to me in a daily encounter, said, you will dance through the summer. Speaking that over mercy culture. And I had this vision of us just dancing and we were sweating. And I said, oh man, thank you, Jesus. But I know what that means. Right then, that morning, about an hour after my daily encounter, I get a call from our construction manager that said, hey, Pastor Les. I was like, what, what do you want? <laughs> I know what this means. I said, well, it's a little bit of a delay. I'm like, well, the Lord told me we would dance through the summer. But we are making tremendous impact on the building right out, that, right out those doors. Y'all, we got countertops and tile this week. Walls are up. We're about to start painting. I mean, we are making tremendous impact. And so we'll be in there soon. But Pastor Chris braved the heat this morning to come and be with us in service. And Pastor Chris and Pastor Brianna are two of the most powerful leaders that we have at Mercy Culture. And over the last three years, they've become very dear to Nikki and myself. And they've made a tremendous impact in our lives and the lives of our family. And I know that every time I've ever seen Pastor Chris touch a mic, if it's to host a service, to open up a meeting, to just end and tell everybody to go get in line and make an announcement, he has a word from the Lord every single time. And I'm telling you, you are in for a treat because he has a prophetic word to deliver to us this morning. And honor is one of the values of mercy culture. Please stand to your feet and let's honor Pastor Chris this morning. Well, let's give another hand for the dads in the house. We celebrate you. Uh, and then let's just, let's just give a hand to Father God. He's such a good father. We just thank you, Father. Good well, be, before you find your seat, um, last, last service uh, towards the end, I heard the Lord say, I want you to come closer. And so I saw us physically at the beginning of the service actually coming closer. So if you're already not as close as you can be, I want to invite you to come fill the front rows and seats. I feel like that is, there's a prophetic act in what you're about to do. So I want to invite you to come closer, sweat together closer. I almost, uh, during worship, went to use the restroom, and when I felt the AC in that little throne room, I almost didn't come. <laughs> I, I had a thought, I should stay in here. I saw that little vent that was just blasting cold. I'm like, this is the place <laughs> the Lord has made. So I almost stayed there, but came back for a moment just to be with you all. So. Well, as Pastor Les said, one of the pastors here at Mercy Culture uh, specifically one of my main roles is to pastor our private school Mercy Culture Preparatory, uh, where we have a pre-K all the way up through 12th grade. Um, Cody's oldest son graduated as a royal. Uh, and it is awesome to have a place where we develop children in a kingdom mindset. And what I love to tell people, especially um, a fr uh, I say a lifelong friend because like we've known each other for a long time, but like we are on two traje different trajectories. But when he challenges me, um, because he doesn't choose to follow the Lord, so that's why he's challenging me. But when he challenges me about having our children be raised up in what he would call a sheltered environment, I, I correct him. I say, we're not hiding them because we're afraid. We're preparing them to go out and take initiative. 
to take ground. And so our heart in developing our children in mercy culture is not to hide them in a bubble. Uh, it's, it's to get them prepared to go out. We don't want to keep them in. We want to send them out. So that's the heart of our children. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Lannon and Pastor Heather as the senior lead pastors of Mercy Culture. I know I'm a product and fruit of their spiritual fathering and mothering. Uh, and I want to, want to celebrate Pastor Les and Pastor Nikki. Pastor Nikki's probably in the AC throne room right now. But I just, I just want, to, I want, I want to celebrate wisdom right there. I, I want to celebrate you too. Um, there, there's the, yeah, celebrate them. Uh, there, I was thinking about you too, how there's this beautiful combination where I know you can be a friend. I know you can be a brother. I know you can be a father. I know you can be a leader. And I love, I don't ever feel you trying to be one of those. You are just all of them. And so I just want to thank you where it's, it's awesome where, especially in our community, I can call you a father. I can call you a brother. I can call you a leader. And it's, there's all this oneness in honoring who he is. And so I just celebrate the leadership of this house. I want to celebrate my wife, Brianna. I love you. <laughs> we had a great hour and 20-minute drive um, with our um, oldest son, Zayden, who's here. Um, but I love the Lord has used Brianna, and we'll get to this more in the message of you understanding why I'm saying this. But the Lord used my wife. One, he wanted me to get married early on purpose because I was a mess. I don't know if any of you have been a mess but I don't know if the Lord's like, we need to get him one quick. Like, we got to get him locked down. Um, but I, I'm thankful the Lord used my wife, Brianna, to really like, like spank the orphan out of me. Like, just like, get out of him. <laughs> just all these insecurities, uh, all these wounds that I brought into our marriage. Like the Lord used her. And it's amazing. Uh, the Lord will use your spouse uh, to truly follow you and discipline you. So uh, I want to encourage you men, um, if you don't hear the Lord through your wives, uh, I encourage you to take a second look because there might be things the Lord wants to speak uh, through them. I mean, he did say it's not good for man to be alone, and that is the helper. Well, so I just want to celebrate my children, Zayden, who's almost seven, Asher, who just turned four, had a Transformer birthday, and um, Nova, who just turned one, our daughter, and I love being a father. When people ask me, what do you, what do you want to do when you grow up? I don't know whenever you stop getting asked that question because, you know, you're just always growing up. Um, or like, what do, you want, what do you want to do? Like, my most favorite thing to do uh, is to be a father. I love everything about it. I love, I love to learn what it's like to be a father, how to be a father, learn how to be a son. So it's my, it's my favorite thing in the whole wide world. We can text notes to 59090, and what's in front of me uh, will pop up on your phone. We're going to jump right into John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Uh, before I read this, I just got reminded, uh, Pastor Les, when you were talking about the Lord speaking to you about dancing through the summer, uh, and while you were singing uh, in worship, uh, I felt my spirit, the Lord, say, I chose you for Waco because Waco needs a singing pastor. And, and when you mentioned um, dancing through the summer, while you were singing, I had this vision, the spiritual daydream. I'll tell my children, it's like you have a movie in your head from God, and you see it without your eyes, but it's like inside. Uh, and I saw um, the Waco campus it reminds me of when we've done, like, we've done this in Dallas with Let Us Worship and different things where we've, like, marched through streets and just worship and look like fools. 
And at that time, we were declaring adoption. And, I, and Pastor Les, I want to submit this to you. I saw you guys worshiping uh, in the streets of Waco. And I felt my spirit, the Lord say, Waco needs to hear the songs out of here. And so, come on, come on. So let's all go outside. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to stop in the throne room real quick. So. All right, John, John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. What a weird thing to say. And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly is pretty important. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is the liar and the father of lies. Verse 45, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So I'm here to tell you this afternoon that you have a father in God. The title of today's message is Strengthening the Foundations of Faith, God the Father. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we invite your spirit of adoption to sweep through this tent. God, we invite you to speak to us and to speak to the city. We ask for the seeds of your word to be planted into the ground of Waco. And we say, Waco, wake up. We say, Waco, be good soil. We say, Waco, you are no longer an orphan, but you are a son, a child of God. Lord, we know that every man is a liar, but you, you are the father of truth. We ask for your words to be released today. We say, speak, we're listening. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, I want to address one of the greatest epidemics in America, and it's called the fatherless epidemic. You know, many, many will talk about the fear of the past few years of what happened with COVID and all the different variants and name changes that happened with what was out there, uh, but still there is a greater epidemic, and it is fatherlessness. The U.S. has been acknowledged as the most fatherless nation of all the nations in the world, given ratio. 22%, I believe, is it 22%? 20, 23% of the, 
according to Pew Research, 23% of children in America are fatherless, and that is the highest ratio in the world. So people boast about America being a leading nation, but unfortunately, we are a leading nation in fatherlessness. 72.2% of the U.S. population have recognized this as the greatest societal and family issue in America. Americans have a hard time denying the fact this is one of the greatest problems. I want to share with you some greater risks in statistics. I'm not going to read them all. It's overwhelming, but I wanted to make sure you saw them and you heard them. The list is pretty wild. Greater risks of children who are fatherless, they're four times have a greater risk of poverty, more likely to have behavioral problems, they're more likely for lower birth weight. Isn't that interesting that the, uh, the father physically not being present affects the child's development within? They're seven times more likely to come pregnant as a teen, more likely to commit crime, go to prison, commit suicide, two times more likely to drop out of school, suffer obesity, more likely to have poor school performance, more likely to live in poverty. If you look at the percentages here with statistics, 85% of youth who are currently in prison are fatherless. Everything I list here are those who are fatherless. Seven out of 10 youth that are housed in facilities, state-operated uh, correctional facilities are fatherless. 17, or sorry, 39% of students in the U.S. This equates to 24.7 million children in the U.S. That's one in every three children in the U.S. are fatherless. One in every three. 57% of fatherless homes involve African-American black communities. 31% Hispanic and 20% Caucasian and white. 75% of sexual abusers associate displaced anger with a father abandonment history. 85% of children who exhibit a behavioral disorder are fatherless. 90% of youth who run away or are homeless are fatherless. 279% more likely to deal drugs or carry firearms for offensive purposes. Fatherless. You can find quite the trend with um, those who have been known for shooting schools, people within schools and shooters at schools. There is a crazy connection to fatherlessness. 92% of parents in prison in the U.S. are fathers. 92. Where are our fathers? 92% of them are in bars. 48% rate of pregnancy loss for single mothers versus 22%. 54% of fathers in the U.S. say parenting isn't enjoyable all the time. 53% of Americans say mothers do a better job at par parenting than fathers. 1% say that fathers do a better job. <laughs> there is even this faith that is lost in men of their ability to father. I want to bring awareness to this periodical that was released in 1975 by Dr. Nick of G Geneva University. He wrote this article called Orphans Lead the Worlds. And he procured a list of almost 300 world leaders that affected history in a large way. And he found that all of them had a fatherless or orphaned history in them. I'm going to list off a few. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Charles V, Louis XIV, George Washington, Napoleon, Queen Victoria, Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, Fidel Castro, now, obviously, not all of these listed have been identified as ones with evil agenda, but quite a few of them, if not majority. See, there, there's a father deficiency in America. 1 Corinthians 4.15, 1 
Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. You have many teachers, but few fathers. And I believe America is in a state of emergency with fatherlessness because the church has been so consumed with just being a teacher and not a father. I'm noticing that pastors are good teachers and their teaching gets them known, but I'm finding that they find themselves falling because of this orphanness. The American church has a hard time being an orphan and a son because they don't go together. What is the orphan spirit? Let's talk about this. First, let's define orphan, John 14, 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That word orphan, orphanos, in the Greek is to be bereaved, fatherless, or desolate. So in other words, without a father or mother. The orphan spirit is a demonic antichrist spirit. When we say antichrist spirit, look at this, Matthew 10, 32. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, so I also will deny them. When you deny Jesus, then you deny the Father. And in denying the Father, then you are denying sonship. It's an antichrist spirit. The orphan spirit is also an anti-holy spirit spirit. Romans 8, 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. If you have not noticed, COVID killed the church. It killed the church that is full of teachers. Remember Pastor Landon said us being an early, a young church, Mercy Culture Church, looking around for leadership, and he found none. You know why? Because it exposed the fatherlessness even in our church. The church needs fathers. You see, it's one thing to be somebody who can just teach the word on a Sunday for an hour, but that Monday through Saturday, how many sons are you raising up? What sons are you leading? What sons are you pouring into? I would argue it's more effective to not preach and spend time with sons than to preach and not spend time with sons because then you're just building a church around your teaching instead of gathering sons to lead a legacy. At Mercy Culture, we say we don't build a church around ourselves. We build it around him, but it will not last if we don't bring other sons to him. And so this is why if you don't have sons, men, that you pour into and women, you don't have daughters that you pour into, it's time. It's time to ask the Lord who. It doesn't mean you have to have the largest group in the history of Waco and doesn't mean you have to post it and let everybody see what's happening. Like it means the father saying, will you grab one? Will you bring them with me? The orphan spirit is an anti-adoption spirit. That word adoption, hui oth esia, that Greek word means a son into divine family. If you look at the, the root words, it's to place legally as a son. So legally, you have been placed as a son or daughter before the king and Jesus. So adoption is to present you to the father, but the orphan spirit is to keep you away from the father, therefore to reject adoption. You reject the spirit of adoption, you're rejecting sonship, then also heirship. The orphan spirit is also an anti-father God spirit. Luke 10, 16, the one who hears you hears me and the one who rejects you rejects me and the one who you reject, uh, the one who rejects me, him who sent me, I also reject. So there's like, what, what just happened? There is a mutual rejection. Receive me, the father saying, receive my son, you'll be received in me. Reject my son, I can have no part with you. Because there is a connection 
Jesus, that's why Jesus is the way, because he's the son to receive to get to the father. No one could get to the father, scripture says, except through him. And God identified for us to understand, get to my son. And that's how you get to me. The orphan spirit rejects God's word. Genesis 3. Let's go back in the garden at the beginning. The serpent says, did God really say not to eat of that fruit? And you know, Eve goes on, well, I mean, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but, but God said, you should not eat of that fruit. So any other tree we could have, just not that one. And the serpent says, anybody talked to a snake recently? Anybody thought it was a good idea? It's not, not a good idea here. Verse four, the serpent says, you will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. I, I don't know if it was God's will for them to even know evil because he only knew good. But they heard the serpent, the liar. You see, Satan operates in a constant state of rejection because he himself is the one who rejected God. You will find yourself having a hard time accepting others or accepting God when you reject others and reject God. And therefore, it is hard to accept yourself when you reject him. How do you reject God's word? Well, you reject his spoken word. So the enemy confronted what God said of what Adam and Eve heard and then therefore rejected what he said, his voice. How else do you reject God's word? By rejecting his living word. Who's the living word? Jesus, the son of God. He calls himself the fulfillment of the law. He was the word with legs. He walked and lived out the word of God. Jesus said, I only do my father's will. The word of God is the Father's will. Uh, how else do you reject God's word? Third one is you reject his written word. If I reject the Bible, that this is not truth, I also reject the Holy Spirit because scripture says that all, all scripture, 2 Timothy 3, says all scriptures God breathed. The Holy Spirit is the author of this. I cannot accept this and deny the Holy Spirit, and I cannot accept the Holy Spirit and deny this. It's, it's as if I reject the Father's Day card my children wrote for me, but I'll accept them. Say, hey, I do not receive your written word to me, but I love you. Or me saying, hey, I love what you wrote, but I hate you. Doesn't land, doesn't work. Rejecting God's word is rejecting God the Father, God's Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So the orphan spirit is a spirit that rejects God's word. You find today America rampant in the orphan spirit because they reject truth, reject God's word. When you don't have a standard from the Father, you run around as an orphan trying to make up your own. How do you know you're influenced by an orphan spirit? I'm gonna list off a few. As I list one, I want you to stand up to show us. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Y'all felt the orphan spirit, <laughs> come up on you. How do you know if you're influenced by an orphan spirit? If you're, you are jealous of what others have, you make decisions to please people instead of God. You feel like you're bothering people when reaching out. You worry what others think about you. You seek approval from others. You find value in what you do instead of who you are. You have a hard time being generous to others. You are obsessive and attached to your belongings. You aren't authentic with others. You don't give trust to people. And you are offended that I would even say any of this at all. <laughs> See, I've identified these because I've identified them in me. I'm still working through some of these. 
Maybe I've been delivered from a few of them, but it's interesting how you can understand the schemes of the enemy when you can recognize familiar spirits of how he attacks you. See, the world is bound in an orphan spirit. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, the ways of the world are opposed to the ways of Father God. The kingdom is upside down. And this is why those who are bound in orphan spirit cannot stand the kingdom of God because it is different than how everybody else is telling them to live. And orphans want to please what others say. With the church being influenced by the orphan spirit, I've noticed a trend these past few decades with all my experience as a 34-year-old where, obviously you can read history too, right? The church has had an issue with the Holy Spirit. Moves, denominations built around denying the Holy Spirit. You even find the trend today of this anti-Holy Spirit move. If the church denies the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of adoption, and therefore denying adoption themselves, it's hard to present the son when they themselves are not acting as sons and daughters. Therefore, it's hard to get other people to the Father. You see, the solution would be for the church to receive the spirit of adoption, to be adopted, so they can present Jesus, who also calls, he says we could call him a brother. And then I get to present to the world the Son of God, who also calls me a brother, and I can speak from intimacy that there is a father, because I know him. There's this identified principality over, over Waco that the leadership, uh, Pastor Les, Pastor Nikki, and the pastoral team have identified um, within the city of Waco. And when we say like a principality, essentially there's a presence of a demonic spirit that we have recognized since or God has shown us. And the reason why that will happen or be is because the Lord wants us to lift his son up. The Lord loves to reveal the agenda of the enemy so that we know what to do in lifting up his son. So we don't search for demonic spirits, but the Lord will make them known so that we can kick them out. And so, uh, Pastor, Pastor Les, I don't remember if it was this service or towards the end of the last, but he said we are unseating principalities in Waco. We're unseating. Austin, if you can just get up real quick, just move out of this chair. I'm just, I'm just going to sit right here. So I just unseated Austin. Y'all give Austin a hand. He's awesome. Love you. It seems so simple, but that's what it is. Where we are in our city and we say, get out. We say, Jesus, the chair is yours. Isn't that awesome? Even scripture says, make a way for the son of God. Did you know even making a way is doing the whole get to any foul demonic spirit and say, all right, Jesus. Like sometimes you may feel powerless. Like I, I don't know how to drive out demons. You don't need to know. You welcome the one who that seat belongs to. You know, scripture says, scripture says that the government of the world rests on his shoulders. So if you're like, I don't know how to unseat principalities. You got a book on that, right? There probably are books out there. Just be careful. You know, he's like, I don't know how to unseat principalities. You may be asking that. All you need to know is to say, Jesus, be seated. 
be lifted high. Waco is yours. So what we do in spiritual warfare is we're, we're not like facing the demon and being like, oh, it's on. You know, we don't even need to do that because Jesus said it is finished. So we just, we like, oh, okay, yeah, hey, <laughs> come on now. Get on over here, Jesus, do your thing. Is we acknowledge him. We acknowledge the highest authority. And so with the spirit, the spirit of an orphan, an orphan spirit, we lift up the spirit of adoption. We lift up the anti-demonic spirit, which is the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit. And so if you, if you got an empty chair next to you, go ahead and touch it or just stretch out your hand to, to any empty chair you may have. And the, there's a root in Waco from the Native American tribe, Huecos, H-U-E-C-O, something like that, where it means empty or a gap. And as I was praying into this, this, this afternoon, I felt my spirit, the Lord say, I want to fill the emptiness. I want to fill the gap. It also means hollow. You know, I know there's, there's, there's this word of wells over Waco. And, and, and as I, as, as my wife and I, my son, we got off the, the exit right when we got off into Waco, my wife was praying for me. I immediately felt this emptiness where I almost felt lost, confused, felt insecure. I, I just felt like I was floating. And, and I had a no sturdiness. But then when I'm here on these rugs in this tent, it feels so full and so safe in his presence. And I felt the emptiness in Waco. And, and Pastor Les, I share this with you, but Mercy Culture Waco, it is obvious you are a full well, a well full of water. And Pastor Les, I even want to submit to you, uh, I heard the Lord say in worship, uh, just this last time in service, I don't have a filling problem. Waco has a father problem. And so I see the Lord is not concerned in filling seats. Now, our heart is not to become a big church, but our heart is to grab sons and daughters to know him. God the Father himself will fill places, but they need to know they have a father. And I believe there is this commissioning even for you today, Mercy Culture Waco, to go tomorrow in your home, in your business, in your workplace, in your coffee shop, and let people know that they have a father. So I think you're extending your hands out to a chair and you got tired. Father, we say fill the gap. We say every seat is yours. Every person in Waco is yours. We say every foul demonic spirit that binds Waco in orphanhood fall. And we lift up Jesus. We, you are the highest authority. We welcome your spirit of adoption to be lifted over this city. We say, Waco, wake up. Be adopted. Be a son. Be a child of God. Amen. Even that type of prayer is what you call intercession, where you are targeting something and then you use your mouth to pray it out loud. I believe in the summer of prayer, the Lord is even calling Mercy Culture Waco to enter into intercession. What this means is he no longer wants you to stand and listen to others pray, but he's asking you to speak out loud his truth, to speak out loud his revelations of what he has to release in Waco. Let's talk about earthly fathers. Well, what is a father? I was very impressed. Merriam-Webster Dictionary knew this. A male parent one who has begotten a child, I felt so ministered to, that they would know. I'm like, they really know? One that originates or institutes is another term. How is it that the world can tell us what a father is, but they can't tell us what a male is? 
There is gender associated to God's design purpose of the role of a father and a role of a mother. If you, and I did, if you go and look at, well, I wonder what they say about males. Are, are, like, are we getting back now? Like, okay, you said a father's a male. What's a male? Merriam-Webster. And it, within there, there is the one who identifies or associates, and so it's not for sure. So then all of a sudden, according to them, a father can be anybody who identifies as a male. There's no way that my wife can be a father. I don't even care if she calls herself a man. She still can't be a father. You know what I find interesting is that those who struggle with their identity have an issue being the designed role God has given them. If I am a man and I am convinced I am of another gender, I cannot fulfill the call to be a son or a father. And this is why the enemy is attacking this because he wants to destroy God's family. He is a father of lies that wants to remove the world from the father of truth. Therefore, if you make your own truth, you live in lies and being what you want. And then we have no fathers because we have nobody who knows what they are. There are three types of fathers. A biological father is a man who provides the seed for conception of the child. So this is, this is somebody who just allows someone to be created. I don't know if anybody else noticed Pastor Les's shirt. It says created. I don't know if he's telling us he's created by God or he created quite a few children on his shirt. This is like a, this is a dad shirt right here. He's boasting his creation right here. It is obvious to America it sure ain't hard to be a biological father. Even orphans don't have a hard time being a biological father. But what about a societal father? Let's look at this. A man who originates or institutes something, a cause, idea, a belief, etc. Let's think of this individual. You might know who I'm talking about. Let's, let's get some battery-operated cars. Electric vehicles. Let's not just stay there. Let's have everything be Electric. Let's get solar panels everywhere. Let's also have a colony on Mars and let's make travel to space constant and easy. You all think of Elon Musk, right? You would argue he is a societal father. He's fathering a move and a cause. He's very effective. And then there's a spiritual father, a man who leads others to obey God. So what is the role of a father in a family? It is that, to lead others to know God the Father, worship the Son Jesus, and to be led by the Holy Spirit. Again, to lead children to obey God. My primary responsibility to Father Zayden, Asher, and Nova is to lead them to obey God. In obeying him, they know him. If they do not know God and they do not obey God, I have not done my part. Now, this does not mean they, they, they have no room to be imperfect. But this, this does mean that their greatest desire is to obey God. You'll find it easier to obey God when you begin to want to. And if you don't yet want to obey God, don't stop. And you keep trying. I want to bring up a value in our culture. We, we, our culture of mercy culture is very intentional. We have a vision. We have values, unique characteristics, and leadership standards. One of our values, trust, we say lean into awkward, where the goal is to build trust. Since I'm not a guest, not that it would matter to me anyway, I want to build trust with you and do what we say, lean into awkward. And I want to give a warning, a spiritual warning. 
You withhold spiritual growth when you withhold forgiveness. And we have a value of forgiveness where we say it's not an option. Why is that? Because God said to do it. So what God says is not optional. You create a male and female. They're, all, they're not options, right? And so he tells us to forgive. Not an option. It's what we do. You will not grow this morning if you do not forgive fathers. If you do not forgive biological fathers, spiritual fathers, or societal fathers, you stunt your growth. I felt prompted in my spirit as I was preparing to, to call to Waco the atmosphere. Did you know you can, you can speak to atmospheres? It's not weird. Let me tell you why. Jesus was sleeping and all the disciples were flipping out on the boat that they were gonna flip. And they said, Jesus, save us, we're gonna die. And there's a storm. Jesus got up and said, be still. He was speaking to atmospheres. You can speak to atmospheres. And so right now I want us to partner Speaking over Waco, I got reminded of that, what is it, April 19th, 1993 with the Branch Davidians and the federal agents where the massacre and siege happened. I felt in my spirit there were seeds of bitterness and a withholding of forgiveness where they, they, there, was, there is an allowing of the spirit of religion to minister, rejecting church no matter who you are or what you say. And so Waco, I just want to declare, release your bitterness Release the seeds. Spirit of God, I ask, would you pluck, would you weed out seeds and roots of bitterness? And would you do only what you can do? Heal the land. Heal Waco. Amen. I want to bring you into my, my journey of forgiveness a little bit. So my father's from India. He made himself... Uh, he made himself enter America in a very creative way. Anybody else? And, and my mother is from California, Huntington Beach. And so I got, a, I got a white mom and I got as dark as you can get before you're black, brown dad, essentially. And so I, I'm, I'm in between. I look nothing like either of them, essentially. And so, you know, I'm working on that as well with the orphan spirit. And so, but... Yeah, I'll just, yeah leave a laugh pause there. At the age of three, my, my parents divorced. And... You could argue it was the start of my journey, though I did not understand it at three years old, to work through an orphan spirit. One of the greatest things my mother did, and here, here's a tidbit for you single parents, my mom raised me in the church. My mom dragged me to church. My mom pulled me to church. You might have even been pulled or dragged today, but let me tell you, there is beauty in being pulled into church. You might find yourself pulling to others in the church now. But you know what happened growing up in the church is I may have grown up without my father, but all of a sudden I got a plethora of fathers all around me. And I, and I got more than one father growing up, a multitude of fathers pouring into me, speaking into me. Though there are apparent immaturities that I'm still working on because of fruit of being fatherless, What's crazy is in the spirit, I feel as if I didn't grow up without a father in a weird way because of the church, the bride, and the father fathered me through his church. So don't even discount, and my, my, my son's in there, but the children's ministry is whatever children in there, they're getting fathered here because you're here and you're an extension of the father. So at the age of 18, I was commuting my first year of college, going to a private university, going to Bible college, because from what I understood, the only way to obey God is to go into debt um, to get a degree and being a pastor. <laughs> I needed a father, right? And as I was 
halfway through my commute going back home from the university to my mother's house, my father's exit, I think 2A on the 405, right when I passed his exit, 18 years old, freshman in college, I heard the Lord say, it's time for you to be a son. You know, I'm just driving in my GMC Jimmy 1992, like, what is this? I'm like, what do you mean, Lord, it's time for you to be a son? And I heard the Lord say, you've been waiting to be a son because you're waiting for your father to be a father. And immediately the start of the journey of the Lord showing me, if I withhold my sonship from my father, then I'm withholding who I'm supposed to be, no matter what he is being to me. So I'm here to tell you this afternoon, do not withhold what you're meant to be because someone else is not being what you're expecting them to be. You know what's wild about being a son? No matter the position of a father, is that in you being a son, your father is experiencing the father. You know what's wild? Being a son actually causes you to become a father. Think about Jesus. He was the best son the earth could ever experience. And he was also the most fatherly being on the planet because he did everything the father wanted. Staying in defense of what others are not being will keep you from being what you aren't meant to be. If you stay bitter towards your father, you're withholding a child from your father because you yourself are not being a son or daughter. Matthew 23, 9, Jesus says, call no man your father on earth. So in the end, Jesus is saying, but yeah, honor your father and mother. He says this in scripture, but I want you to know, really nobody is. Your father in the end, in the kingdom, you have a perfect heavenly father and God the father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God the Father, we call him our heavenly, our perfect heavenly Father. You see, God is the Father of all, but not all are children of God. So the question is, who will you follow? Waco, who will you follow? America, who will you follow? Let's talk about God the Father. Now, before I talk specifically on the person, God the Father, I want to make sure we bring some understanding in the year of Deuteronomy, fortifying and strengthening, getting a strong foundation of who God is. So God is what we call the Trinity. Now, some of you being astute theologians yourself may mention, hey, let them know the Trinity is nowhere in Scripture uh, in terms of being named. Yes, thank you. The Trinity is not blatantly stated within Scripture, but it is all over Scripture. You know, there's this uh, doctrinal book that all pastors read at Mercy Culture by Mile Perlman, Knowing the Doctrines of the Bible. He puts it like this. Did Jupiter exist before we named it Jupiter? So the Trinity has existed before we named it Trinity, essentially. Now, how do we get the term Trinity? Let's look at this. 213 AD, Tertullian, anthropologist, theologian, philosopher, he was addressing heresies as people were getting confused on who God is and the personhood and the three persons and how do, you, how do you reconcile all of this? And he was one of the first users of the Latin term Trinitas, which is where we get Trinity. And he was making it known that God is three persons, but one God. Father God is God, the Son, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They are three persons, but they are one God. And then you have in 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea, a group of church bishops and spiritual leaders gathered again to address heresies that were running rampant. And they affirmed Christian doctrine within the church that God is the Trinity where he is three persons but one God. 
God is the Father, God is the Son, Jesus, God is the Holy Spirit. You'll find without Scripture, they testify to each other. That the Father testifies of the Son in Matthew 3.17. The Son testifies of the Father, John 5.19. The Son testifies of the Spirit, John 14.26. The Son testifies of the Son, or the Spirit testifies of the Son, John 15.26. It would be weird if God testifies of himself. Hey, I want to make mention of me so that you know that I know me. Scripture is clear that the Trinity operates within unity, John 17. You can read that in your daily encounter tomorrow. But the Father loves and sends the Son. The Son leaves and returns to the Father. The Father and the Son send the Spirit, and the Spirit intercedes with the Father. They're in unity. Let's address two heresies here when it comes to the Trinity. The first one, when we say heresy, it's, a, it's doctrinally incorrect. It is not truth. The first one is tritheism. This is the belief that the three persons, instead of three persons, they actually are three separate gods. So hey, this Sunday, we will worship God Jesus. Next Sunday, let's do the second Sunday of the month, we'll worship God the Father. The third Sunday, we'll worship God the Holy Spirit. They are not one, they are three separate gods, therefore we have three gods. That is false. The second heresy is two terms used, Sabellianism or modalism. They're tied together, Sabellianism says, okay, instead of the three persons, there are three expressions. So you have one God who is tripolar. So imagine, imagine I, I celebrated Pastor Les. I said, I appreciate how you can be a father, you can be a leader, and you can be a brother. It would be weird if Pastor Les changes the way he talks, the way he walks, and the way he treats me. So if he wanted to be a father to me, maybe be like, hey, I just want to hug you really tight and let you know I am your father. Then all of a sudden he's like, hey, dude, but I'm your brother too, man. Let's go get some tacos, right? And then he's also like, hey, but also I am a son. Let's bow together, right? It's like, it's, God does not have three expressions. He's not tripolar. So that's false. So what is the truth? God is Trinity. He's three persons and the three persons are one God. So we worship one God who is three persons. We acknowledge the Father, we acknowledge the Son, Jesus, we acknowledge the Holy Spirit, but they are one God. Does it not make sense to you? It doesn't to me either. <laughs> but that's why we call it faith. The assurance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. I encourage you, if you're wrestling with this, to look through in the notes. If you haven't text 59090 already, there's a lot of scripture where it, Trinity is mentioned and highlighted, not by phrase, but by activity. Jesus being baptized, Matthew 3, 16 through 17. The Father says, my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit's like, coming down, you know, as a dove. And Jesus is like, yes. So the three of them are working together. If that was a one-man show, that'd be a little odd, right? The Great Commission. Baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He's not like, I will ask myself and then he will give you myself, which is me, and then I'll be, I'll be with you. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Paul's letters, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And you find Hebrews 9, 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Again, God's not, not saying, hey, you are sanctified through me, but then me also does this with me. And so me is working for you to get you with me, right? Now, obviously they are one, but they're three persons. 
Jesus gives access to the Father, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when we acknowledge the presence of God, the Holy Spirit is God's presence on the earth. So even when we're in worship, and when we have times engaging with him, acknowledging him, his spirit is entering the atmosphere in the room. And the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit is with us because the Father wants you with him and you're able to encounter his Holy Spirit because of his son making you right. There's this phrase I've heard, anytime Jesus does something, the Father wills it, Jesus does it, and the Spirit empowers it. So God the Father specifically, two times he's mentioned as the Father of Israel, 15 times the Father of certain individuals, 65 times Jesus calls God the Father in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're cohesive. A hundred times Jesus refers to God as Father in the book of John. You know what's interesting about that term, Abba, is Jesus introduces this intimate term. I did, I, I did not find in my study a history of Jews mentioning God as Father prior to Jesus calling God as Father. Now, there was this term of like, he's the Father of Israel. But making it personal, Jesus brings it into play. How fitting is it that the Son of God would bring into play you being a son and daughter? It's important that you know that God is not a man. He's not a physical, sexual human. He does not have a gender. Well, how do you know that? Numbers 23 and 19, God is not man. So God is not a man. Now, the person Jesus, the Son of God, came and took the form of man. But before he took the form of man, he has always been. So God is spirit. But Jesus took the form of man to save us. Faith, right? Faith. God is a spirit, John 4, 24. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth for God is a spirit. So who is God the Father? Let's do a little bit of who, what, where, when, why. Why not? Who's God the Father? Well, he's God. He's one of three persons of the Trinity. He is the sender of his son, Jesus. He's the sender of his spirit. He's the one with the son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. What does God the Father do? Well, he operates in perfect unity with the Son, Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit. He's the co-creator of all creation. What did, what did Genesis 1 say in the beginning? Let us. That'll mess with your theology. Well, it doesn't say Trinity. Well, it says us. <laughs> Let us. Talks about the Spirit hovering over the waters. Talks about God walking. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. There is a presence of a being. There is an acknowledgement of us. The Spirit is hovering. And children are made. Where is God the Father? Well, Scripture says he's seated on the throne in the throne room in heaven. He's seated next to the Son, Jesus, whom he's seated at his right. Who else is seated with Jesus? Those who receive him are raised up and seated with him. You're seated with Jesus so you can be seated with the Father. When did God become Father? Never. God never became Father because he always has been. Well, how did he become Father before he had children? Well, first off, he's God, and you're not. And his thoughts are higher than yours. And obviously, we cannot comprehend it because he's God. We, it, it gets dangerous if we can comprehend who God is. See, orphans get comfortable in understanding, but they're uncomfortable in not understanding. But orphans have to be willing to release not fully understanding to be a son. Yeah. Revelation 1, 8, 22, 13, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. God never became father because he always has been. 
I would suggest God created children because he is father, because he did not become father because he created children. It's just who he is. Did I become a father before or after my children were born? Well, my question is, was Jesus a father? He didn't have earthly children, but he did everything the father wanted, and therefore he fathered people. You see, being a father is not just biological. It is much deeper. It's spiritual. Why is God the father? Because he calls himself father. He identifies himself as father. Jesus named him as father. How does God father you? Through his spirit, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, Matthew 14, 26. Who the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Interesting how a father will teach, but it may be hard for teachers to father. But teaching comes out of being a father versus teachers trying to be a father. I want to paint the picture of who God is with a few of his attributes. The first one is he's a father of truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God the Father is the Father of Jesus who is the truth, so he's the Father of truth. God the Father is also a provider of natural needs. Matthew 6, 26, Jesus says, look at the birds. They have what they need. They got food. Look at the flowers. They're dressed really good. So you don't have to worry about what you eat and what you'll wear. God the Father knows what you need. He's a provider of natural needs, but he's also a provider of spiritual needs. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be God the Father and our Lord Jesus who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You know, scripture says you lack nothing in him. So we've been given everything through his son, Jesus. The father gave you everything he owns through his son, through death, so that you can be a co-heir with Jesus. Inheritance comes with death. Jesus died so you can share the inheritance. You're called a co-heir a co-inheritor. God the Father is a provider. The greatest inheritance that God the Father has left us is his Holy Spirit. The greatest inheritance I can leave my children is a spiritual inheritance, a track record or history of obedience. And he's the father of the fatherless, Psalm 68, 5. I tell people, if I ever get a tattoo, that's it right there. Father of the fatherless. God the Father is also a giver, James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is a good giver. Then I've been asked, do you believe all the gifts of the Spirit are for us or is it just one gift? From what I understand of who God the Father is, he desires to give all things to all of his children. And he is not a respecter of persons. Imagine my son, Zayden, where I say, Zayden, I have nine boxes and each of them has a gift, but I just want you to know I've chosen for you to only have one. The other eight, I don't want to give you. <laughs> I, don't know about, I don't know if you have any have emotional breakdowns when other people get presents, you know, a little bit of orphan spirit in there, right? Like the other day, the other day we're celebrating my middle uh, child, Asher's birthday, and there can be some little bit of wounds of like, why am I not getting a present? <laughs> Why are we not singing me happy birthday? You see, but we believe in mercy culture, every gift is for everybody because he's a good father who gives all gifts. That just doesn't mean some people have a greater bent in a gift, 
but we believe he's a good father who gives all gifts. Some people walk as a prophet in the office, but we believe the gift of prophecy is for everybody. And let me tell you, fathers must prophesy to their children. They must tell them who they are, remind them. There's some medical issues and demonic attacks on my middle child with his body, and we know it's spiritual. And I got reminded the other week of what the Lord spoke to me about him before he was born. And that stirred my faith to contend for healing because I know what God said. And then I prophesy what he said. Prophecy is just saying what God said. Read out a scripture, you prophesy. God the Father is also protector. Psalm 68, 5. He's the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. And this is probably the world's favorite. God the Father is a disciplinary. And essentially it talks about God the Father in Hebrews. It says he fathers those he loves. And in his discipline, scripture says there's blessing in discipline. What else does it say? It says in Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, that God disciplines those he loves. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two. He disciplines us to protect us and to save us. God the Father is also loving. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given us. God the Father is creative, Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and the potter. The Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And lastly, God the Father is a rewarder. Matthew 6, 1 through 4, it says, go pray in secret so that your Father may reward you in heaven. God the Father rewards. So what is the, what is the narrative of God the Father? Well, we find when you think of God the Father, he wants to be with you, but he must make you righteous. And so he sends his son, Jesus, to make you righteous. And then the son, Jesus, must go back to God the Father. Why? Because he must send his spirit, his Holy Spirit, to fill you and enter you. And then the Holy Spirit makes you like him because he is the Holy Spirit. Scripture says, be holy like me. And then God wants you to bring others to him as you're being led by his Holy Spirit. And then God's plan is to come back to the earth to establish his home and to be with you and dwell with you forever. I want to invite the band up as we prepare to close. Well, we talked about God the Father, but I want to bring awareness to the Father of lies. In our main text, John chapter 8, Jesus says in verse 44 through 47 that you are the father of the devil, or you are the child of of the devil. The devil is your father because you do his desires. You do the will of the devil. The devil is the father of lies and there are two fathers, God the father and the father of lies, the devil. Therefore, there are two groups of children, children of the devil, children of God. And you know whose child you are based upon whose will you fulfill. Everybody chooses their father subconsciously or consciously. There is no in between. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 30, whoever's the not for me, is against me. He also says, what do we got? John saying in 1 John 3, 10, it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. There is no in-between. We are in the midst of a spiritual battle and reality. And we are either a, children of, a child of God or a child of the devil. Now, this does not mean you do not have room to mess up. Proverbs says, even a righteous man will fall many times, but get back up. Don't allow yourself to enter into shame this morning because you're not perfect. But allow the Holy Spirit to convict you to be more like your father. That's the mindset and the shift and understanding. Let's all stand. See, Scripture makes it clear that sons of the devil make straight paths crooked.
They practice sin and they do the will of Satan. But sons of God, they receive the son of God, Jesus. Sons of God obey God. Sons of God are led by the Holy Spirit and sons of God are peacemakers. Sons of God do the will of God the Father. I want to invite you to close your eyes in this moment. Many times I close my eyes to focus. It helps me steady my spirit to see nothing so I can see everything. And I'm pleading with you this morning, John 8, 47, Jesus says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. So I'm pleading with you to be good soil where God can plant the word, his seed of being adopted in you this morning, where you will take it and put action to it tomorrow. Are you hearing the word of the Lord? God has provided this word as a seed for sonship. I plead you, choose God the Father as your father. Waco, I plead you, choose God the Father as the Father. Texas, choose God the Father as the Father. America, choose God the Father as the Father. Church of America, choose God the Father as your Father. You have a Father in God. How do you choose Him? You simply receive His Son, Jesus. Jesus is your salvation. He's the one that makes you right. Orphans stay stuck in trying to make themselves right. But sons acknowledge nothing about them is right without Jesus. If you want to give your life to Jesus, acknowledge the Son of God as the Lord and Savior of your life, whether for the first time or you want to recommit your life to Jesus, saying, today, I'm choosing you. I want to invite you up to the front with me on this rug. Many times just walking up in front of people will deliver you from the orphan spirit. How else do you choose God the Father's second response? I felt my spirit is a receiving of his Holy Spirit. If you desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit or to have a refilling, a rekindling of the Holy Spirit within you, which is the spirit of adoption, I'm gonna invite you up to the rug, up to the front here. And the third response is to receive God as your Father. If you've been wounded, if there's wounds within you from spiritual fathers, earthly fathers, societal fathers, I want to invite you up to the front to give your wounds of fathers to the perfect Heavenly Father. Come and receive the Son, Jesus. Come and receive the filling of his Holy Spirit. Now feel in my spirit, parents, on behalf of prodigal and lost sons, that you would come up on their behalf for receiving of the son Jesus. I see you walking up as a prophetic act, as if you're an intercessor in the natural, walking on behalf of a prodigal son. I want to invite you up to contend on behalf of them. If you're a business leader and a certain employee comes to mind that need to know the son Jesus and receive Jesus, I wanna invite you as a prophetic act to walk up here and to intercede on their behalf.
You may ask, what do we do now? This is the moment where we respond to God saying, come closer, come closer, come closer. I want to invite you, if you're able to take off your shoes. I don't know about you, but I don't wear shoes at home. I'll get slapped if I wear shoes at home. Whether you want to keep your socks on or not doesn't matter, but I want you to get comfortable because the church is the representation of the Father's house, and you are in your Father's house, and it's time to get comfortable. Time to get comfortable in His presence. Spirit of adoption, we welcome you in this tent. Spirit of adoption, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Father Abba, we welcome you to adopt us. We give you our wounds. We give you our pain. I just hear the Lord saying, let me in. Let me in. I get this vision of the Father knocking on the door of your heart, saying, let me in. I get reminded this morning as I was in my daily encounter, asking the Lord, what do you want to do this morning? I heard him say, I want to touch the hearts of the people. I see the Lord placing his hand on your heart, but first he's knocking on the door saying, let me in. Let me in. Let me in. If you're ready to let the Father in, I just want to invite you up to the front to respond. Let me in. Let me in. We let you in, Father. We open the doors of our heart. We let you in. Just say, I'm letting you in. Let's just, let's just sing, I'm letting you in. I'm letting you in. <laughs> 